All right. So this, we're doing this a little more informal, not a tremendous amount. I, I know I didn't do any research for this. We know a lot of this research. Yeah. It is, in fact, a topic we've covered for uh, Honey Badger Radio. And uh, I am I have been interested in bringing some of those topics uh, back to light, um, rehashing them. <laughs> well, not, not in a negative connotation uh, sense, of course. Just uh, simply going over some useful tips and tricks and things that are quite dear to my pursuits and... Uh, in my life and things that help us and so uh as well as a little bit of a, of a topical uh you know conversation given what's been in the news lately and uh, as well as continuing our autism topic uh we're going to talk about uh, autism depression uh sexuality and okay, so specifically then, the incel edition ah, so then i have done research just not for this specific show exactly exactly <laughs> actually i was thinking uh you know talking about incels and things of that nature that we might get into um uh, looking at human behavior from um, like kind of an evolutionary perspective, uh, because that's one of the things that I think uh, uh, a lot of people who have uh, problems relating to the opposite sex, a lot of times uh, it, it just seems, makes no sense at all whatsoever. And so, you know, that uh, I think bringing some sense to it is at least helpful for getting kind of a peaceful attitude about it. Right, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a... Uh... A combination of uh, pursuits uh, that we've been recently uh, going after, such as our autism arc, is in effect continuing. Um, incel is uh, sort of a hot topic right now, a hot button topic, even if you will. And we'll go over that a little bit uh, and how that relates to autism and, uh, in general, uh, talking about ways to deal with depression and how sexuality and uh, sex workers can help with this uh, autism and depression issue and the incel uh, issue, of course, as well. Um, and sex workers are a bit of uh, under attack right now from uh, from some bills that we can uh, get into a little bit. And if you've been following me on Twitter, you're all aware of that. I've been blasting it uh, nonstop. But um, uh, it also kind of has um, an addition, an element um, to it uh, of all the things. Uh, thank you for sharing your, your Sunday with us, uh, which is Mother's Day Sunday. So uh, for all of you who uh, haven't had the best of mothers, uh, which may have contributed <laughs> uh, to your issues or was comorbid with some of your uh, issues that we may discuss, uh, don't feel bad. You're uh, certainly not alone. There's plenty of people, male and female, who uh, you know I've been seeing on sounding off uh, over the internet today and kind of giving uh, a reprieve from judgment to, to those people who may not have the, the idyllic, uh, oh, mommy. Uh, sweet, you know, mommy sort of relationship that you see in commercials and such. Uh, and, and do not feel bad. And uh, if you uh, count yourself in a group of, of those people, uh, we'll go over some uh, some things. Of course, autism, depression, sexuality, they all uh, hinge on relationships. And uh, there are male-female relationships that uh, can hinder or benefit these uh, these things. Um, well, one of the things that, that uh, I've you know, going into the, the topic that I was uh, talking about is a lot of times people, um, you don't recognize how much you, you hold a magical view of things and that you're not really looking at things from a, a mechanical, you know, rational viewpoint, uh, even when you're an extremely rational personal, a person. You just don't, um, you don't know what it is that you haven't drilled down on. And one of the things that people don't drill down on is how uh, behaviors work that uh, just the idea that well you know for many many years uh the idea of behaviors being genetically defined was kind of a, a no-no topic even in like mainstream science and 
Uh, and so the, in, which is just an absurdity given that we know that instincts are something real and therefore they are, you, you don't have to teach uh, a, a huge variety of things to animals for them to be able to do them. So obviously, you know, the genetic components of behavior are, are absolutely undeniable. And, and from a perspective of somebody who's been in programming, that's one of the things that I just, I wish that, you know, some low level programming was a requirement for every child you know, coming out of elementary, uh, because you begin to understand exactly what it is that you have to define to create an intelligence that's in cap that's capable of anything. And you begin to understand so many base requirements. Um, and so, you know, whenever we're uh, thinking about, you know, when you just think about, you know, why does something taste good? That has to do with a, um, you know, driving behaviors. Well, you know, why do you have any uh, why do you react fearfully to somebody jumping at you? You know, uh, why are why do we have any opinion at all? It goes down, you know, to a very, very basic, you know, level of your programming that is defined um, in, a tr in a for uh, I guess a, a tremendous amount of it is defined by uh, by genetics. It's a um, or genetically anyway. Um, suppose there was something else I was uh, I can't remember exactly what I was going towards here but the uh, oh that's right the uh, now they've, they've of course found that memories themselves um, are being stored genetically where uh, I'll just you know just in case somebody hasn't heard us talk about it because we have talked about it numerous times that they they have uh, done these tests with uh, with mice or rats or something to that effect that they uh, um, they trained them to the scent of cherry blossoms uh and gave them a versus stimulus like uh probably foot shock or something like that and uh and they were able to find that uh up to a couple of generations later animals that had never uh experienced cherry blossoms were fearful and avoidant of that scent um and so what i'm talking about here is just understanding that social uh, mechanics, the way in which people interact with each other, it goes back so, so far in, uh, before the, before, you know, any kind of conscious mind. And so we, our conscious mind is kind of riding on top of this huge set of predefined behaviors that are not, not easily noticeable and uh, are kind of, you know, presented to you as, uh, as very few choices of what you should do in a, a given situation. Uh, whereas there may be, you know, a, a large variety of other choices. If you were to really back it up, you do, you know, you kind of, your conscious mind kind of makes a dis or dat sort of, it's like, uh, it's like you, you know, your subconscious that includes, you know, instincts and learned behaviors, which are basically learned instincts. Um, and it, it, you've got these thousands of possibilities that are all kind of, you know, built in the subconscious area, and your and your conscious mind is kind of like the uh, like the quality control inspector at the end. It's just kind of a pass or fail, a dis or dat, and there's, there's really so much more that are that is not presented to your conscious mind as part of the decision making process. And so, just kind of understanding how much. Um, animals are uh, have these complex social behaviors that are defined by genetics understanding 
you know, the, the forces that shaped them and how they got there and how they were useful is extremely important. I mean, we have uh, a lot of behaviors, a lot of things that are that are genetically defined that, of course, end up going terribly wrong in modern civilization. They just know they don't. Our technology has advanced much, much, much faster than any kind of uh, genetic changes could keep up with. Um, so, I mean, and, and we're talking about even farming, you know, just the idea of farming itself is something that, uh, not, not, to, I'm not even talking about the, the modern world, which is crazy different, but just behaving at, in large groups because large groups weren't even possible before farming. So you're talking about just, you know, what seems like a long time to us, 10,000 years is a, is a blip to, um, you know, genetic adaptation. And so, um, so understanding we have all these things that are going wrong because we're trying to behave. Um, all of humans are, 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 have this, this natural set point that they're not really very conscious of. And it's constantly causing lots of problems. Like for instance, uh, you can just be stressed constantly at work and things of that nature. And, uh, and your stress response can get can basically tell your physiology that you are living in a place that you are constantly in danger. And so you amp up all these stress chemicals that are supposed to be able to help you fight. And, and if you're not using the, the, the chemicals that are produced properly, like, so you, you know, say for instance, okay, your body is supposed to be able to produce, you know, things uh, like glycogen, I guess, uh, you know, things that, that should allow your muscles to work faster and, you know, things that are, um, that should be working a certain way because if you're, you know, if you're fearful, then you should be running the, away or fighting or something of that nature. So then you're producing these chemicals, they don't get used. And so just everything starts to just sort of break down because you're, because you are, your adaptations no longer fit the situation. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, when we're talking about human behavior, you know, look at primates and, uh, like, yeah, I've, I've recommended it over and over, but I will rec recommend it again. Uh, a great book is, uh, Macachavalian intelligence by Dario Meister Piri, uh, where he goes into, he's a, uh, primatologist and he goes into to some of the, the behaviors that, uh, rhesus macaques have. And, uh, one of the things that I like about macaques, I'm not sure if they're, if they're rhesus subtype or whatever is exactly the same but I'm, I'm sure most people have heard of the hundredth monkey effect and that is the idea you know where where ideas suddenly spread really rapidly uh it's you know kind of a it's told in various ways there's nothing magical about it it's just the um um it's kind of a a method of quorum sensing i guess i need to uh I digress a little bit on quorum sensing quorum sensing is just what uh uh uh, bacteria and various microorganisms can put out a chemical uh, so they and then measure the concentration of that chemical and what ends up happening is when it reaches a certain amount they're able to detect that there's a certain number of them in an area and then they can all change at once uh, and this allows them to behave as a group uh, in, a, uh, in a in a way that basically the whole group can synchronize their behaviors so the same thing kind of happens in uh, more complex animals as well. And that's, you know, what we, you know, kind of vaguely call the hundredth monkey effect where uh, these, uh, you know, the, the, the prime example is these macaques 
on an island where uh, they were given sweet potatoes to eat. And one of them started, you know, washing the potato to get some of the dirt and stuff like that off of it uh, in the water. And uh, some others started doing it and sort of copying it, but it was very slow. And then suddenly, boom, all of them on the entire island uh, started doing it as a. Uh, and so it's basically it was a a cultural approval. You got to understand why would they why would they have all these behaviors? Why would they catch on to these things? Why would they do these things? Is because the genetics that are able to survive capture useful information for those organisms so what what it what the the genesis of culture itself is this sort of quorum sensing that captures useful behaviors and spreads it throughout the uh, the population and uh and so they kind of pass on these uh these useful things um so uh the the I guess uh, why did I, why was I talking specifically about this? Um, I, I may have kind of lost the thread of the conversation here. Um, I'm trying to get at, at why it is that uh, when we see oh I guess there's I was talking about the the rhesus macaques. Well, their uh, their behaviors when they are interacting with each other um, are these complex behaviors that they signal to each other various things and uh, they signal signal to each other. Uh, health they signal to each other their their power and position and uh, and you gotta understand their you gotta try to think about how their mind is not capable of keeping up with things the way your mind is uh it's it is a less complex mind it is less capable of understanding situations so they're they're reacting to things but they do keep up with things that you uh that, that uh you know that a human would keep up with like who is in what position you know, in this, this social hierarchy, because social hierarchy is huge to macaques. It's one of the reasons why they're able to, um, uh, live in such diverse environments is because they they have this social hierarchy that, um, allows them to gather resources. And basically the, the weakest among them bears the brunt of them attempting to live in a, in a place where, um, there's a little more resource cost. Uh, and they kind of, you know, the, the, the healthier ones rise to the top of the social hierarchy and they act as a larger organism, uh, which kind of sacrifices those that fall to the bottom of the social hierarchy. So my point here is to is to look at how they, you know, how do they know that burying your teeth uh, is uh, it means one signal and showing your genitals means another. And, you know, how is it that they keep up with all these things? And it has to do with these predefined genetic sets of behavior uh and so whenever uh well another interesting thing is that when you look at the the use of tools in human beings uh we uh, haven't seen the use of tools in in humans uh much more than a hundred thousand years old uh and or it's the you know symbolic thought i mean there are some very rudimentary tool usage that we even see in other primates uh like they actually can use you know sharpened sticks but when it comes to tool development i suppose that isn't just completely uh what's it called um uh when you when you just kind of accidentally come upon something by trying stuff over Amateur? and over Error? trial and error basically the uh, trial and error ends up developing its own tools which is why you know a, uh, a spider has the tool of a of a web and so of course there are there is some arbitrary tool 
usage in some early primates and early humans. But the development of tools uh, wasn't why we developed our large brain. It wasn't we, we developed our large brain before we started rapidly developing tools. So that is not what a big brain is for. That's not what all this and is a there's a huge cost for a big brain. So what was it doing? It was doing social stuff. It was doing social calculation. It was keeping up with extremely complex things because it was our ability to work together that made us a more successful species. So the idea that there are a lot of predefined things kind of goes along with our large brain and it's, and it's going to be a, a large part of who we are and it's out of date. Um, it's, it's, but, um, as I talk about how much it is out of date, that it is, that doesn't mean it's irrelevant because we always come on to take this binary sort of approach to things that like, oh, instincts are bad. There's all these ways it's going wrong. Fuck instincts. Well, instincts are what make you human too. It's, uh, uh, you know, any kind of love, cooperation, uh, all those things are instincts. Instincts is the wisdom that is built up over millions of years. The ability to understand, like one of the ways in which we kind of threw away the idea of instincts is we thought uh, with game theory, with our early ideas of this, this shitty one-shot game theory, that the best idea is always every man for himself and that's, you know, just work out. And it was a simpleton idea. It's a dis or dat binary thinking. And we, and we missed out because, uh, because of this, this kind of, uh, not understanding or respecting how much wisdom can build up over millions of years. We kind of are like, oh, well, our instincts or whatever it is, that's making us, you know, do altruistic things. They're just wrong. Uh, just another ex example of how all of the, all of this, this stuff is completely wrong and we can think it out and it'll be better. But then we end up finding out through evolutionary game theory and looking at all the ways in which you, we find altruism in animals that, that it's actually a longer term strategy. It is a, and the short term strategy of every man for himself destroys everyone in the group, uh, pretty rapidly. Uh, and so it is a, um, it, it is basically, Sometimes we don't see how much long-term uh, strategy has, has is part of um, what was in instincts. And then in addition to that, you have to think about uh, what does a computer never does anything that it doesn't get some sort of input to do. So what what is it? What's one of the, the central things that is lacking to a computer that every animal has, and that is sort of an impetus to to do things on its own it doesn't have desires it doesn't uh and so it is so it is the instincts are what provide desires which provide a meaning for um you know i wouldn't say meaning as in a like a larger sense but as in like you know what why on earth anything alive does anything at all because if you you can have all this information but if you don't have a goal to accomplish, there's no reason to do anything. If you're, if you don't need, if you don't want to survive, if you don't want to thrive, if you don't, then why would you want to continue? Why would you want anything at all? And the truth of the matter is, you remove instincts, you remove all want, you remove all desire, you remove all, all that makes a person a human. And there's no, there's not even a reason to record or use data. Basically, the, the whole existence of intelligence. Uh, kind of falls apart. Uh, it unravels. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason to, to assemble an intelligence into a, you know, into something that can capture data 
and use it for predicting the future and better survival or anything. So, so the, the point is that the, it's very easy to sit there and, and for us to look at these ways in which our uh, which our instincts are just really just screwing everything up because we see it so easily because it's uh, you know there are so many of those problems. But at the same time, if we throw the baby out with the bathwater, we're we're making an even larger mistake. So we're throwing away this wisdom of you know that's built up over millions of years i mean it's it, it that's what that's what nature does is everything that can continue does continue and it does continue because it's found the best way to continue that's what life does it's it's a it's a search algorithm it goes and finds the best way to continue uh and so it, so it's basically you know life has been going and finding what the rules you know in this in, the, in this set of physics what are the rules for eternal continuation? And so that's the, the way in which nature behaves is this set of, it, it conforms to this set of rules. Um, and so one of them is, you know, it, it, there is kind of a attempting, this attempt to continue is, a, is capturing information. And, and, and then there's this constant cycle of revolution as things change. But I won't get too much into that because that's a really long digression. Point here is I just want to point out how much that we are um, uh, dealing with systems built up over long, long periods of time that fail us. And if we can, if you can understand that, um, many times, okay, like for instance, let me give an example. Uh, you know, and this is one that a lot of people will find controversial; they won't like. Uh, but women tend to. Uh, let's take it. Let's take a. Uh, you know what? Forget. Well, I'll just drop it right off of humans and go to lions. There we go. Now we can actually talk about it without anybody getting butt hurt. Um, and that is uh, when we watch what a lion uh, does during breeding. Uh, the the uh, the female will lie there, and uh, and she'll just she'll just basically torture the male in, in, into having sex with her, and then as he does, he'll she'll turn around and attack him. Uh, what the hell is going on My there? My torch human figure. Uh, well, enticing. No, no, she'll she'll literally just be messing with him. Yeah, okay. Yeah, she, you, you, I guess you kind of have to watch it. It's it, it's kind of funny because she'll sit there and just he'll just be laying there enjoying the day, and she'll come over there and start messing with him. Now this is after hours of him already breeding with her, so he's he's like tired out, and uh, and and what she'll do is she'll just keep. You know, messing with him and and you know rubbing against him and you know sticking her stuff in his face and then and then the moment he decides to go ahead and and breed with her, she'll turn around and attack him. Uh, now this behavior is not just completely random. There's there are times that we have to say yes. There are times that behaviors and even uh, uh, evolutionary developments. Don't have much of a use now. Those things which are, which develop in d deserts usually are always very very directly useful. Whereas those things that develop in rainforests are more of an attempt at lots of random shit, like all the little dances and colorful feathers and shit like that. Those are random attempts at you know trying to figure out what what'll work best in reality. Whereas you know uh, in the desert, uh, nature's trying to figure out you know it, ha it has to be a little more efficient. Not as much energy available. Um, so, so usually uh, you can you can count on most behaviors if they have continued over time, so that they are part of uh, an animal's regular set of behaviors. They almost certainly have 
a direct survival use. So what use is it for a female lion to constantly be turning around and attacking the male? Well, it's um, uh, the, the one thing that I can come up with is that it's strength testing. And that is, it is important to make sure that a male, um, what, what are some of the, what, you know, some of the things that a, an animal needs, like say, what, what does the, what's the purpose of the male animal and, and lions? Well, a lot of times they're for taking down big prey, protecting against other male lions and, uh, and basically, uh, protecting against very large things. So they are like the females can, can do much more hunting in general because they're more alive. Uh, and so they don't have to have as much, they, they actually just don't have as much muscle mass. And so they're able to get around more. They don't use up as much energy uh, as the, as the male does, but the male has to be able to take down big prey, has to be able to take down big threats. And so it has to have much larger muscle mass, which doesn't make it as fast, which makes it not as good of a hunter, which is why it doesn't do a lot of the hunting. So, but, but the thing is, it also has to be, there, there has to be a fearlessness. There has to be a, uh, audacity. There has to be something that, uh, that when, when it comes to how do you hone behaviors in animals? So animals are not just looking for physical characteristics. They are looking for sets of behaviors. So, uh, so whenever a female is selecting a mate, what they're looking for is, is a set of mental characteristics. Cause that's one of the things that, uh, I guess whenever we're talking about, you know, whenever we talk about survival, of the fittest, whenever we talk about, you know, um, sexual selection, uh, there's very little that people ever, they always kind of, you know, uh, look directly at the, um, at the physical characteristics and then they never look at, well, how do we make sure that building nests, they, they still build nests properly. This is something that nature does take care of. And that is why behavior is a huge part of the sexual selection process. They have to be able to make sure that, um, that that particular, the particular behavior that they have found has not mutated. In other words, a mutation, mutations happen in the behaviors as well. Like, uh, to, to give you a good example of behaviors genetically passed along, there's a, uh, in, uh, I think it's a type of lovebird. Uh, yeah, it was lovebirds where they, where one type holds the piece, pieces of the nest in a beak, uh, another type holds it under their wing. They, uh, they breed the two and you end up with a confused lovebird that goes back, keeps twitching towards his, his, uh, his wing. And, uh, eventually I think they decide, uh, like as the bird gets older, it just, it just twitches towards it instead of constantly trying to, you know, switch back and forth. It's, it, it decides on one and it like just holds it in his beak, but still has a little twitch even in older age. But the point is that there's, um, that, that it's not just in lovebirds. They've got that. And there's a particular, there's, there's types of, um, moles or voles or something like that, where they, where once one, uh, subspecies makes a whole, uh, out the top of a hill, whereas another makes it out the side, and then you breed them, and they make a hold out the top and out the side. Um, so obviously, sexual selection has to be part of this because genetic um, changes can lead to changes in behavior. So therefore, who's watching for behaviors? And in my opinion, uh, it, I I think that men are uh, more strongly. Um, uh, where males of at least of our species are more strongly um, uh, focused upon the visual visuospatial aspects which have to do with the physical characteristics of their mates so therefore they're kind of the keepers of the the bodies um, uh, 
you know, the, how, how, what our physical characteristics are passed down. Whereas I believe, uh, females are more, uh, focused upon the behaviors. And so therefore they are more, uh, responsible for making sure that the behaviors do not mutate out from whatever is the, um, genetically defined best set of behaviors. So they're looking strongly for behaviors. And so going back to the lions, I believe that what they're doing is a type of strength testing. They're trying to make sure that their mate is, um, uh, is strong, is not, is not fearful, cannot be, um, what, you know, one of the other things is persistence. Um, a, uh, a male in a fight has to not give up. It has to continue and continue and continue. And so, and this actually leads to, you know, one of the things you'll find in the difference between the male and female brain is dopamine versus serotonin, you know, prevalence is, is something that people, you know, had, had discovered, you know, long ago is that there's kind of this uh, male brains are more focused upon uh, achieving higher levels of dopamine, whereas female brains are more geared towards higher levels of serotonin. Now, this is a real vague generalization uh you know that that there's lots of exceptions to but it is kind of a a useful uh generalization of looking at what it you know where a serotonin kind of plays a part of an overall widespread set of you know um uh, uh what is it called um situations a widespread set of attributes whereas dopamine is about you know uh satisfaction um, something very direct. And so you'll find that people with, uh, with who are attempting to achieve dopamine will, will do things that are more length. Uh, in other words, they're more, there's more persistence. Whenever, whenever you're, you're going after dopamine, you're going after a satisfaction and, uh, and sat, and, and if that satisfaction, it basically trying to meet that satisfaction leads to a, a lot, a lot of persistence. And so my point here is that there is a, uh, that there's a value to, you know, switching off, uh, switching between your, your various, um, uh, what's it called? Um, strategies, uh, but too rapid of straight, uh, a switching leads to never, you know, following anything through. And of course, and if you, and, and there's, it's always a good idea to, to be able to follow something through, but if you don't switch when you find, you know, and you're just continually, continually persistent, well, then of course you put too much energy into one thing and that's lost. So, so anyhow, so you have these two, two, aspects that are constantly uh, at play between the male and female brain, between the different parts of our brains. We actually kind of have a little, I mean, yes, the, the, the left brain, right brain, emotional logic is, is very, very, um, just barely, you know, useful at all. It's, it's mostly not true. Um, but there is some use to it still is there's still kind of a left brain, right brain, uh, sort of thing, because we do have things that are, um, found on the left brain that are not found in the right brain. There are some generalities uh, in the ways in which the left versus right brain work. And especially when it comes to the amygdala, uh, the uh, the way in which men use their amygdala versus women is switched specifically, which one is dominant, uh, you know, and, uh, and so there's, there definitely is a left brain, right brain set of um, specializations. And, and it's so my, just my point is that there are these different aspects that kind of are, um, it's a required pumping back and forth between the two of them that is uh, that that kind of leads to a homeostasis system, which is what nature is attempting to accomplish by having these sets of behaviors and how they fluctuate. And so, going back to the idea of the strength testing, one of the things that that is that you'll find in in some homeostasis systems, like whenever you're um, uh, 
uh, I, one of my, my favorite examples is treating allergies. How do you treat, how do you deal with a child that has allergies? Do you keep them away from all the, all the possible al- allergens? Well, that'll keep him from having symptoms, but that is a short term, um, solution that le- leads to long term problems. So what you do instead is you expose them to small amounts of the allergen so that their system can adjust to it. And so you'll find that many times, uh, I, what, what I personally have found is behaviors that men find paradoxical in women are actually, uh, they're just, the, the women seem to behave and op- behave oppositely to what we would expect because they're attempting to achieve something that is opposite of what they're doing. Um, because it's more about long term, and and I believe that women are responsible for finding the behaviors in men that have to do with persistence, uh, and have to do with in, in very important mental characteristics that are that are male. And so, um, so let's say, for instance, you know, guys are really upset about why, you know, why is it the girls, you know, play these games, or you know, well, maybe what they're doing. Oh, is that is that break? No, okay. Um, maybe what they're doing instead of playing games is they're attempting to find someone who is not weak, who is not mentally easily discouraged because a person who is easily discouraged is, uh, is a behavior that they are, that they do not want in a mate. Uh, and they may not be aware that they are searching for, you know, persistence in a mate, but then at the same time, they're not going to want somebody who's overly persistent. So there's going to be all these, you know, the homeostasis systems are not a, you know, one-sided thing. There are balance between uh, uh, two opposing things that are valuable. And it's just like you want to, it's very important to live your life in the moment. For instance, you need to be able to take advantage of all the opportunities. You need to be able to see all the opportunities. You need to enjoy the, your life because you only, all you have is this moment. You constantly hear that message. But at the same time, if you were only focused upon the moment, then you will destroy the future. And so you have to think about the future. You have to pay attention. You have to make plans. You have to do, you have to sacrifice the moment for the future. So what I've told you here are two completely opposite things. They're complete opposites. How do you deal with these opposite truths about reality? And of course, it's a homeostasis system. It is a it is a balance that that is constantly in flux, trying to find a a middle ground that is, and that middle ground is always dependent on the situation. Um, so what you're going to find is that men, uh, you know, tend because of our, our persistence and trying to make, you know, a tool that's efficient and direct and, you know, that, that kind of, you know, viewpoint of, of reality, the what looks like paradoxical behaviors in women are not paradoxical behaviors as much as they may be part of a homeostasis system. In other words, they're 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 trying to find this this middle ground between you being a a dumb brute that just, you know, goes persistently after one thing without any consideration of anything going on and you being a weakling that ch- changes course every moment that there's the slightest resistance. Uh, and so, so of course their behaviors one minute are going to be completely different than they are, than they are the other. They're going to be asking you for two completely opposite things. And so therefore that's a real confusing, like, you know, uh, we've heard all our lives, you know, women just can't be understood. I don't believe that. I don't believe anything can't be understood. I think that it's just very difficult to understand because it's a complex system. So 
So I think in knowing that there are these things going on that are valuable, like one of the things that, that I, I think is um, that people don't recognize is, is um, I think um, men tend to feel like women can be manipulative. Well, um, here's something to consider. If you can be easily manipulated by uh, whatever, are you going to be a good mate in general? Uh, if you are easily, you know, influenced, then uh, then if if a, if a female let's let's back it up to primate, you know, um, you know, t- sorts of of instincts, uh, is that mate going to be easily influenced by others then? And uh, the truth of the matter is probably you're probably going to be if you if if a if a girl can influence you easily and get you just wrapped around her finger and doing everything she says, then first off, you're probably easily influenced by anyone. Or the alternative is all you care about is achieving some sort of breeding goal with her and will drop her the moment you get what you want because the reason why you're doing all these things is you're being deceptive. You're not, you are willing to sacrifice anything to achieve your goal. And so you're either a liar or you are easily manipulated. And both of these things are not what she actually wants. So therefore sending you, uh, you know, attempting to force you around she, uh, you may get this feeling that that she wants a tremendous amount of control over you, and then is unhappy once she achieves some level of control over you. And that seems nonsensical, but it is not. It's not nonsensical. It's it's part of determining whether or not you're a person who has good borders. Do you have good borders? Do you do you are you both? sacrificing for her as a good and and being a good mate that is cooperative as well as holding the line on things that are important and saying saying no because you're not a weakling and you're not a liar and you have your own wants and you have your own needs and and so there are these things that i believe that are complex behaviors in women that men have a hard time understanding that are extremely valuable for our species they've been valuable for uh for many years and they're still valuable now because uh, the truth of the matter is you know as a man you do need to make sure that you have some heck as any person you need to have some ability to overcome obstacles you need to have some ability to hold the line against the rest of humanity while also still being cooperative with them uh, you need to have these mental aspects. And so I think that's why a lot of times people also understand in some level where they can't put a finger on it that they're, you know, they're my wife made me a better, a better person, you know, and I think that that's not just some, you know, you know, wussy uh, kind of he's just he's just uh, saying stuff to, you know, uh, to, to he's pussy whipped. He's, you know, uh, just saying stuff to, to make her feel better. And I don't think that that's the case in many, many instances. It might be the case in some instances, but I think in many ca- cases, even where there's a relationship where the man is not um some you know weakling that is easily controlled and and just uh you know that sort of thing that they still understand that there is a a level of where even the difficulties that they have with their mate are part of a sharpening that they that is valuable to them as a person where they can recognize 
aspects of themselves and the, the ability to overcome difficulty and and practice social behaviors and um, uh, things of that nature. So I guess th- that was that's pretty much the, the, the lesson I'm trying to get towards. That I think that a lot of people who who have the this this problem with the feminine, they have a problem with you know looking at what it is. Uh, you know the the behaviors of, of women and understanding you know all of this these weird complexities and and they're very frustrating. I think if if uh, if men can understand that there is a goal to it, that there is a use to it, that there that it, that there is a value to it, it becomes more of an understanding that it's like it's not the world against you. You know, it's not that everything's set up against you as much as it's a system which. Perhaps you should be looking at yourself to see is is there something about um, about me that I could you know alter in some way and actually upgrade to become a more um, desirable person have I have I been too conscious because one of the things that can happen is so you you try is is a lot of times guys they want to accomplish something I want to have a mate okay what do girls want. And then you go and you say, okay, girls want you to say these things, do these things. And I'm going to do them and I'm going to do them really, really super well. Well, doing them really super well is not balanced. It's not balanced at all. What you've done is you've completely, you've taken some things that are, they're extremely complex, oversimplified them, overamplified them. And by doing so, you have made yourself less uh, attractive. And that's why the, what women are attracted to seems very complex and weird and, and odd to a man because it's not this super efficient single refined you know thing it is instead this this balance of opposites that are that's a give and take and it's it, it has a level of complexity that's just kind of <clears throat> it's kind of counterintuitive to the tool making mind in other words a man wants to find the most efficient way to, you know, what when, when you go out and you hunt those deer, you don't go out and sit there and like, oh, well, this one's got a little spot on its back and I don't like that one. No, you find whichever one's the slowest, you kill it, you take it home. You find the best way to get to it because it, you, you, it's a life or death. You have to you have to cut through all the bullshit. It doesn't matter. It is meat. You get it. And that's, you know, and when you're, when you're making a tool, you want to be able to amplify the power of your work to be able to, you know, and find the, the, where is the, where's the weak point in this, this, you know, tree or where is the, how to, where's the weak point in this animal so that I can kill it faster so it doesn't kill me. And so there's these, these pointed singular types of things that formed the, what is a more masculine mind that have to do with amplification efficiency you know and that that leads eventually towards you know tool making but the uh, but there is a balance all throughout nature that is absolutely crucial you find it everywhere even like one of one of the things that really woke me up to this uh to this balance between things and and contextualized information is is learning about um uh what's it called um developmental biology so like you look at, at, you know, how DNA works and you think that's this one set of information makes this one thing and that is not it at all. It's uh, it's it's multi-layered information that that, you know, when as a as a cell is developing, the same set of information can mean one thing in one circumstance and mean another thing in another circumstance. The, the, the actual data takes meaning from the environment. So part of the environment completes the meaning of it like a 
just like a riverbed is not a river and a, and a bunch of water on a floodplain is not water. It's only once you combine the water with the, the uh, a depressed area that you actually have a river. Well, the same thing is true of how certain sets of data interact with reality. And so understanding this level of, of complexity uh, is part of, and there's a crucial part of nature, I think can help a lot of men who are, you know, understand themselves that they that they are sometimes um, uh, maybe over amplifying things, and I, and I think that's why a whole lot of the well, just be yourself is a is um, a, a <laughs> it's kind of a it's a dual edged sword that there is a level of trying to be yourself, but men uh, tend to to decide what that self is a lot more, uh, and so just, and a lot of times being yourself, a lot of you know a lot of times what if you don't have all of the the I, I you know like I I personally. Feel like when I was younger, I didn't I, I didn't have the level of interpretation of people's faces and the expectation about what they're what they meant, and so there was, and then of course I, I had a very weird culture that was given to me by my family, and so those things being myself made me like a freak, and so of course you know that was that was not good, it's not that's not a uh, an overall good. Um, advice it's something but there is something to it that is being the best you know being confident in what you are is valuable and attempt and instead of attempting to constantly just um wrap yourself around some ideal that is definitely a way to fail and understanding that that is definitely a way to fail can kind of remove some of that anxiety about changing yourself and make it more about uh, kind of a work of art that there is definitely valuable value in finding ways that you can, you know, upgrade yourself, but it being more of a work of art, that's something beautiful to you, I suppose. And then having, having the same kind of, of confidence that this is something good and valuable about the you that you create, uh, that transcends anybody else's opinion. Uh, and that is the kind of confidence that, uh, that I think attracts most women that you have a confidence in in who you are as as what you are attempting to create is this you know work of art that there is uh, some but but having this anxious energy to try to you know to to try to move this way and move that way and wrap yourself into a pretzel i think is uh is not just bad it's counterproductive and it can actually cause you more problems than um uh, than it solves. And that's, that's kind of counterintuitive to any guy. Cause the, you know, as, as men, we were taught if it, if it doesn't work, apply more effort. If that doesn't work, apply more effort. And that's kind of our, our whole view of things is just keep, just really go after it and push through every barrier and knock them all down and, you know, find that crack in the armor and, and just pull it open. You know, that's, that is our, our way of thinking, but that is not, um, that's not applicable to all circumstances and it's certainly not applicable to interpersonal relationships that are guided by this set of principles that are hyper, hyper, hyper complex. But I think of like monologue. Gee, I had no idea I had this much monologuing in me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think all of that is to say that um, there are difficulties that are presented to you as a man when dealing with women and, uh, I believe that was just a long way of saying don't take it personally and don't really hold it against them. It is just a way that humans do because we're primates that are just barely learning how to not be primates. And uh, you can navigate 
that scape once you understand it. And I definitely second uh, Dario Mastropieri's book, uh, Machiavellian Intelligence. I believe it's actually on my wish list because uh, our first copy was in our stored library, but we may be getting it back. Uh, either way, it's uh, it's quite the read um, and it informs a lot of, it fills in a lot of gaps for uh, certain behaviors that uh, you may not understand about women, um, surprisingly, because, you know, we're all sort of primates at a certain level and men, you may be, you may learn things about yourself, um, especially when it pertains to sexuality and uh a lot of this uh, obviously is directed towards the the incel community, which is uh, on one hand, yes, uh, that is advice that seems to be floating around. Uh, do improve yourself, uh, and especially once you know the the game, you can, you know, uh, once you learn the rules, you can play the game better. And uh, there are quite specific rules to when it comes uh, to wooing women, <laughs> and there's a reason PUAs are hated by feminists. Um, there are elements uh, that underscore true uh, happenings, and there are elements that work. Uh, in, in that um, movement or you know, uh, vocation, I guess. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm still barely getting my voice back, so it's it's quite good that uh, you had that much monologue in you, I will say. Um, but uh, I, I would like to also point out the idea uh, or bring the idea to the table that um, the involuntary celibatism is, uh, you know, it's in the name and so that uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it's not so much about the maybe resentment or anger that arises as a result of being involuntary celibate, which certainly been the aspect that's been underscored a lot by feminists and others in, in wake of the, uh, you know, Canada van attack. Uh, however, the other aspect that I'd like to point out is that it is involuntary celibacy. So you may be completely interested in women and want to be around them and, you know, try to do everything you possibly could uh, in the way that they tell you and otherwise to be something desirable and it still doesn't work out. You're still not wealthy or attractive. You're not, you're not a Chad. You're not, you know, you don't have the socioeconomic and biological elements that women are looking for. So what then, you know? Well, the thing is, that's uh, the, those don't listen to women to know what women want. Uh, that's, I know that sounds sexist, but it's just <laughs> the truth. Um, because women don't actually know what women want. And they, and they will very, very strongly tell you that they do. And it is crap. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, uh, every man has the capability of being desirable. Um, and, uh, and, and it's, it's just, a matter of finding your own voice sort of. There just look a, at Patrice O'Neill. I mean, if you listen to a lot of his stamps and he's a big old fat, you know, ugly motherfucker. Exactly. He, and he will tell you that straight up. And, and yet part he of is drowning in pussy. And Why? that's part of the frust frustration a lot of incels have is like, here are the, this guy who does, he's, he's, he's not even a Chad, fat. But he's <laughs> ugly as, as shit. He doesn't have any money. What the fuck is going on? I must be like, I must be not seeing myself properly. I must be a warped, you know, gibbering horror from the dark, you know, dimension or something. But I, what is going on? And, uh, and, and that's not what, you know, that's, uh, I, I know a lot of people, uh, myself included when I was a kid, when I was a kid, that was, that was kind of my, my impression of things. Uh, and it's, that is not it. It has to do with that. They're more, they're, they're actually, what they want from you is for you to complete your journey as a man. That's what they want. They want you to be, or at least fake it. Yeah, they they want you to be be making yourself into uh, more of the the what is um, valuable about men 
from a perspective, not from a per- their perspective, not from what they say, because they will from a male they, perspective, <laughs> but from a male perspective, they actually want men to be men. Yeah. Uh, and the, and, uh, and they don't know it. And that's why you're there constantly is like, you know, there's even these, these like, well, who was it that it's like, they want- I just keep, I just keep having to sleep with these Trump supporters. <laughs> you know, yeah, there, like- was, there was an article uh, <laughs> right after Trump was elected uh, on medium or some such of a, you know, a liberal progressive woman who uh, confessed her lack of ability to stop sleeping with Trump supporters. She does <laughs> not just, understand. Like, I don't know why I go for the bad guy. I don't know why. Well, see, I and, and, uh, and it has to do with confidence. It has to do with seeing that, that a person believes in themselves and is, is willing to push forward. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of these things, these are, uh, these are virtues. So basically, you know, they are, are actually, they don't even know what it is they can't put a finger on it and a lot of times they'll say they hate it it's like oh he's such a this he's such a that well you know anytime a woman is really really concerned about how much a guy is such this he's such a bad guy this is that's attraction a lot of times and they will they will hate you for saying that, that. is them this trying is you cannot say this in polite company hopefully none of you are polite company that is them uh, honestly from a neuropsychology and a female perspective that is them trying to so you know how there's this thing <laughs> so let me let me tell you this to tell you that there's this thing um, called feedback uh, uh, feedback loops, and uh, you listen to yourself, uh, uh, you know, quite a bit. You do listen to other people, but you actually listen to yourself more, which is why people talk to themselves uh, to try to remember things, etc. You create a feedback loop within yourself that uh, reinforces things you wanted to reinforce, uh, or you know, sometimes don't want it to reinforce, but you got some bad, you know, codes and and, and bugs. In, in your in your uh, hardware, <laughs> your brain's hardware. And so things that you say out loud, uh, you actually end up believing more. So uh, one of the life hacks to, uh, you know, depression and anxiety and such as per the topic is to uh, not say negative things about yourself. Or if you do put them in a uh, past tense or as a over something that you can overcome or have overcome already um, as something that is in the past or in one way or another, um, conquerable uh, and focus on saying positive things out loud uh, it sounds corny but those you know positive affirmations in front of a mirror and uh, you know even those tapes that people try to create that you know would re- they would have to repeat to themselves I'm powerful and people like me you know there there is a, a psychological yeah. mechanism to that so much of that sounds hokey but it's not it is you I really recommend you look into the power of the placebo effect placebo is way more you know we, we think of this as a, as a word that means ah, it's just this nothing but the truth of the matter is placebo is extremely powerful. It just it shows this mind body connection, and uh, and so there's so much and in the mind, way of mind mental, word connection, and then mind mind connection. Yes, yeah, the the how much it is that you are capable of altering your perception of events to give yourself a better opportunity. Well, we'll think about anybody. Who, just real quick. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, to finish my thought is uh, that almost escaped. Just escaped. Fuck. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the the point of uh, things that you know the the, the joke uh, how to tell when a woman's lying her lips are moving uh, or a more polite version of course uh, you know what women want is not what they say they want and uh, even further to the specifics that we're talking about that you know a woman will say she's not interested in a man and list his negative qualities and how he's such a bastard and such an asshole and such a douche and such a something. Uh, such as such, uh, that is them trying to prevent attraction by creating a negative feedback loop against the object of their attraction that they're trying not be attracted to. So that's why they say this.
Yeah. A lot, a lot of times that, that is, well, all, you know, it, they're constantly talking about how, you mean, how they're attracted it's, it's to the bad boy, which is object means, of obsession. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're saying negative things because they're trying to reinforce ways in which that person is bad so they will stop liking them. And, and part of that, so why is Doesn't it that, <laughs> that women are attracted to the bad guy? It has to do with, uh, it has to do with rebellion. It has to be, has to do with whether or not you, you are, uh, you knuckle under and, 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 and just always accept whatever the group, uh, wants. And also the confidence if, that you can take on the group, therefore strength. Exactly. They're looking for if you have confidence to take on the group, even though they are larger, then that is an attractive quality. Uh, but at the same time, you can't be such an individualist that you can't cooperate with the group either. So why do they want two different guys? Because they want a balance between those two different They things. want a baby daddy want, and a fuck buddy. <laughs> exactly. They want a baby daddy and a fuck buddy. They want you to be the kind of person who will stay around and take care of your children and be responsible, but not somebody who's so responsible that they that every little rule of society and everything that, that the group tells them that they should do they immediately you know uh, bow to and every time that there's an evil regime that comes up they go they jump right to it and they're a complete sycophant and do exactly what the evil regime says that they should do they're actually preserving morality uh, by making sure that there are still people in, uh, who will rebel against evil regimes and not just be well society says this is good and everybody around me is saying this is what how reality is supposed to be and that these are the rules and you know and so I have to follow them because I'm a good rule follower, you know, so they, they want both of those people in this kind of a uh, sort of a balance. And of course, uh, as I mentioned, if you uh, do not finish your journey as a man, you can at least fake it because uh, th there is some power to faking it till you making it as well as a as speaking of evolutionary, you know, mechanisms, there are uh, benefits to pretending to be something you're not. And uh, well, also, here's you know, like one of the things that men really fear being wrong. So using positive affirmations is a uh, is difficult for guys. I know I have a lot of difficulty. You know, it's like I can't believe something that's wrong. It's wrong. Uh, and being able to overcome your idea of what is wrong is it requires a, is some it, cockiness. <laughs> but it's An also and here's the thing: it's cockiness in one way that you have to believe that you are valuable. It's humility. In another way, to understand that you are wrong about what is best and what is good and what is what is right and what is wrong. All and so your when preconceived you, notions. Right, that all your preconceived notions are not correct, that your opinions about what is best are not correct, that your idea of what you are supposed to be is not correct. That is actually an act of humility to be able to understand maybe I'm wrong about me being not valuable. Maybe I, maybe that is, I'm actually, maybe my problem here is I'm just so certain of myself in thinking that there's something wrong with me and there's something that I'm not valuable at, that I'm not, that I can't be, that I can't do this, that I can't do that, that I am this specific thing that can't change. Maybe I'm actually wrong about all that and being able to face that kind of, uh, self self-doubt and in basically miss that you have this misplaced self-doubt that is this belief in your inability to change you belief in your inability to achieve your goals this inability whatever those things are and taking that self-doubt and putting it where it should be and doubting that you are right about those things that your view of reality is correct that your that your estimation of what is probable is wrong and that's one of the things that is really really difficult to overcome is our estimations of what is likely and understanding that it's based on skewed 
uh, uh, information and that, uh, that probability is bullshit um, is an important exercise, I think, because what happens is a lot of times, you know, you get rejected over and over and over. And this looks like uh, that you are that you have developed a good set of valuable data. Right. Uh, however, that's not um, you always you, you have to realize that there is this sample size problem and that random numbers stack. And that you can have if it's something that that you can have what seems to be a large sample size, and it not be anywhere near the sample size that is actually needed, because you don't understand the sample size that is required. And so what I'm saying by this is like say for instance you take a hundred instances of of something uh, over a year, and it's like man this is like I've taken it and over the over I've taken an entire year and a hundred times it came out the exact same way every freaking time. I don't need any more data. Well, if you're ta- talking about uh you know the seven year locust, and you're ch- you're you're only uh, choosing data during the period of time when they're hatching or when they're not, guess what? Your data is shit. You thought you had the probability calculation right, but you were wrong because you didn't know that they only hatch every seven years. You didn't know that the sa- your sample size was wrong. And so there's a there's a level of arrogance that we have in the, our ideas of what is the right way of doing things and what what's probable and things like that that are that we have to be able to break down on a regular basis and say my ideas uh, about what's probable are shit. They're bullshit that that I'm I'm believing in arbitrarily and that's what they are is just bullshit. Because when you and that's part of by the way, that's part of an aging mind. When, you, when you're talking about an aging mind, it is this certainty in our ideas of probability that makes people who are over a certain age less likely to succeed if they have not succeeded yet uh, so far in whatever it is they're attempting to do. Because they believe each one of those failures that they've had is some sort of proof. When, when in fact, what they may be dealing with is simply a circumstantial thing that has to do with timing, that has to do with... Circum- it just it has to do with circumstances alone, and they just their sample size is within an area in which their sampling is never going to come out to reflect what's really going on, and so they can believe that they that they are never going to be successful. And a person who who believes their bullshit probability calculation, um, oh, we're overheating. I don't know. A person who believes their bullshit probabilities. And everybody does, and everybody has them, uh, is not going to recognize opportunities when they come along. Because what you're going to see it as, I've already done something just like that. Why would I do it again? The the, the definition of madness is doing something uh, uh, over and over again without ever um, uh, thinking that it's going to change. Well, the definition of stupidity is not knowing the reality fucking changes. Uh, that is the dumbest quote ever. I hate that quote. It's it's so asinine. Of course, you have to do things over and over and over and in try fact, again. In the scientific method, you must do things yeah, at least to, three times in order to even get an accurate representation. Right. So so, so that, that quote is just the dumbest Which shit. Of it's a the, good excuse for to, poem, to not you know ever try. Uh, that's a, the perfect time to uh, bring up the poem. If in times of tribulation, to read and, and remind oh, yourself God, yes. that you if, have to re up on things in order to stay active. If stay by Rudyard Kipling is the most concise guide to being a man that has ever been written. Um, but so, 
so the point is you have to be able to notice that there are that there circumstances are going to opportunities are going to keep opening up to you and you will no longer recognize them as opportunities if you believe that it's not going to work out. You don't see it as an opportunity anymore. It becomes something that's just kind of background noise. And so what happens is people who are certain of their, uh, uh, that this is not going to go this way, this is not going to go that way, this works a particular way, I'm already certain, I already know, what happens is they don't take advantage of opportunities that would have actually finally paid off because the circumstances have changed. I mean, Imagine, for instance, you're a uh, you're you're a young man who had uh, who was much more socially awkward, and uh, you know, and hadn't matured very much, and you had lots and lots and lots of bad experiences with women. You might not notice that your body has changed, your circumstances change. You're no longer in high school, which is a shit show to begin with, and so you so you go. But then when you enter this new world, you don't change. You have this idea about how people work and what every facial expression means and how, and how a person's going to react. And you and it's based upon these experiences in high school, for instance, where everybody's being a, a, a complete douche bag. They're fucking, uh, you know, they're they're ignorant as fuck. They don't know anything about reality, and so so they're acting in a way that is that is very different than they should be acting. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that anybody actually changes after high school. That's one of the biggest problems in the world is that you've got uh, tons of high school kids running around. That's like the vast majority of people are still stuck in high school. It's like something about the trauma of high school locks their brain into that, and they never change into anything else. And then there's the rest of us who hate those people. Um, but but there are a tremendous amount of people who do actually change outside of high school. And if you are not you know, willing to recognize that circumstances have changed and that your ideas of what reality is have are they're they're out of date, that they're crap, that your probability calculation is just is is yes, it was it's not it was something that was imputed upon you and ends up coming naturally and it's something that you believe in, but it's it's bullshit now. Things have changed. Reality has changed. Reality is constantly changing and your circumstances have definitely fucking changed. And if you do not recognize that if you do not doubt yourself then you won't be able to recognize new opportunities they won't look like opportunities they'll look like just the same old shit but the but the same the the, the opportunities that were not opportunities in the past the, the same circumstance, your recognition, your pattern recognition of what is is or isn't an opportunity, the same pattern is now an actual opportunity that would pay off. And you won't recognize it because of your bad experiences, because of consistent bad experiences that were there were not a large enough sample size. It did not go enough years. And it's and you've got this natural feeling that makes you automatically react that you never examine. That it's back there in the back of your mind. And being able to root out all of these 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 natural automatic systems that are influencing your automatic reactions and your automatic feelings about things is a very difficult process that everybody kind of has to go through. Um, and so I guess that, that's, that's just the, the tirade I wanted to go on is that, that there is a, there, when it comes to having confidence in yourself, don't, don't let people, 
people will, will, will try to hold you down every time you have any pride in anything valuable about yourself. But the, the, and, and that's an unfortunate thing where everybody tries to pretend that that's what humility is, thinking you're shit. And everybody goes around saying, I'm shit. Are you shit? Yeah. No, that's, that is a weakling's way of excusing not trying. Everybody who plays the I'm shit, you're shit game, it, yes, they are shit. Fuck them. Uh, because the truth of the matter is you need to be able to believe in your values. Everybody has values. Sure, you've got weaknesses too. If you if you acknowledge that you have weaknesses, then there's, you don't have to go and broadcast your fucking weaknesses to everybody. Everybody has them. Then you don't need to talk about those. And it's okay for you to talk about your strengths, the things that you've cultivated, the things that you've worked hard for, and in some cases, things that were just granted to you. You can be like, oh, I'm so glad I was granted this gift of this advantage. There's nothing wrong with that. And when people try to hold you down with the, oh, you're not being humble, you're arrogant, fuck them. Because that's part of that I'm shit, you're shit, let's all hold each other down at the same time. Fuck them, fuck them up their ass, fuck them. I hate those people. I hate that attitude. It's a toxic mind virus that makes uh, that that you have to be able to overcome. You have to be able to to recognize your values and be confident in them and say, "Yeah, I've cultivated this. Yes, I am good at this. Fuck you if you don't believe it. I don't give a shit. I'm proud of what I have accomplished. I'm proud of what I've put work into. I am proud of these things. And if you want to try to call that a lack of humility, you're an imbecile." Fuck you. You're not only an imbecile, you're a destructive imbecile, and you're trying to spread your fucking mind virus, and I reject it. Fuck you. So, <laughs> On the flip side, however, we do have blowhards like Trump, and as comment of mentioned, uh, women mistake confidence for cockiness most of the time. So, you know, that's not necessarily helpful in this conversation. Or maybe it is. Uh, you can fake it, and they still won't know the difference. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, a lot of times people are really, really bad at gauging actual value and so that is why exploitative faking and and surfacey shit does um a lot of times outperform uh real value and that's why all throughout nature you have systems of competition that that make things that look a certain way have to actually compete in in an actual performance test and then the and then it eventually those exploitative things end up falling away. And that's kind of like a, uh, one of the examples I give is these green frogs that uh, they're just, I think they're literally, that's like the name of them is the green frog. What a creative name. Uh, but they, uh, biologists are known for that. Biologists, they're really known for their creativity in, in naming. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, it, it like the, there's these, the larger ones were croaking uh, at some point in their history, were croaking very deeply being selected for their, their size. And then smaller ones started deep, deeply croaking to, uh, to fake that, that to fake that sexual selection, and then uh, and then they they ended up being this behavior where they end up uh, like the females go and attack uh, the any males coming nearby to breed with them, even though they want to breed, they want to breed with them, but they want to attack them and uh, and test to see whether or not they can you know out wrestle them. Back I guess. to strength testing, and so they're back to actually strength testing. Are you actually bigger and stronger or not? Uh, and uh, and so that so they're kind of in this midway point of both croaking deeper as a as a uh, measurement as well as uh, you know um, uh, the, the the attack where they're they're actually physically testing and, and the point is is it's nature's way of getting rid of that, exp that exploitative behavior via competition but um, but but yes there is a uh, there is a, a level of people who are who are confident in themselves and they have Dunning Kruger you know where they believe they are smarter than they actually are and uh, and in nobody 
and guys in general don't want to they, they don't want to be that level of embarrassed about you know thinking they I, I think most I'm with most most guys in the idea of I don't want to be seen as some blowhard I don't want to be seen as arrogant those things are embarrassing those, those things are uh, you know not to the guys who are blowhards and benefit from it <laughs> right exactly <laughs> they got, and, they're shameless yes and that's part of it is at a certain point you have to be able to overcome your embarrassment because embarrassment is you allowing the hive to control you and eventually like feminists win they'll make you they'll make Seriously. you yeah well if you're ashamed of being a man and when you know it is good and right and and you are valuable in every positive way that there is about manhood and you're still letting them shame you out of being that they win don't let yeah. them win well <laughs> I, I wouldn't see it as much as that is just there is a level of a lot of times shame and the and even embarrassment and these automatic feelings that we have about that are part of um well you know well, what is guilt in the first place guilt is is the uh, is a built-in um process for uh conformity to the group's opinion that's what guilt is about is it is, it is a conformity toward towards behaviors so if you want you you know when you are not conforming to the behaviors that the group believes are appropriate for you know whatever reason uh then you you should be feeling guilty about it it's basically your social mind calculating you know something and trying to keep you in line with what the group wants but you have to be able to overcome embarrassment and the fear of embarrassment um, if you want to actually be any kind of, you know, you don't have to be a, li a literal leader to be a, lit a leader, if you know what I mean. In other words, you can be a leader without any followers. You can be somebody who is who understands and tries to conform to the good things that society wants of you, but not but pay no attention to embarrassment and guilt about things that you believe society is completely full of shit about. And then it's a recent development. I mean, I'm not going to feel guilty that I'm not wearing a powdered wig. I'm sorry, just not going to do it. There's a period of time where, uh, you know, some rich person would have been embarrassed by being the only person who wasn't wearing a powdered wig. Or what if you're in town and not showing the, the uh, you know, um, other symbol of wealth and power, a top hat? I'm not going to be embarrassed. And when I decide to not wear a top hat when everybody else is wearing it, it's those there's tons of things that have to do with embarrassment and guilt that are built into you. That are complete bullshit, and they're very difficult to recognize. It's very difficult to recognize these little these little things that are driving you in one way or the other, and kind of controlling you. And so it's it's very important that you don't give way to embarrassment and understand and and decide for yourself what is right. And uh, and yes, it's very important to try to be, you know, something that. Um, you know how do you how do you how do you judge what's right and wrong? You know if you're completely all for yourself and just doing things your own way, you know you're going to end up going up against the good of society, and that's what a lot of times people who are very individualistic, which is valuable in its own way, a lot of times they'll end up fucking up all the systems of society that make society run properly because they become so selfish. In other words. Selfish is a word meaning that you are basically self-centered. You are very, you know, and so the drive for that self-centeredness is a leadership type of thing. It is a going your own way, deciding on your own. And sometimes because you're not capable of understanding all the complex inner workings of how society fits together, sometimes you are going to end up destroying systems that are very important to the uh, to even to yourself when it comes to how society works together but then there are 
other times that it, that by being a conformist, you are not able to reach your potential. You are not uh, you are not do you you are not being an individual, and so there is a difficult balance. But many of us who are very concerned about conforming to the rules, satisfying society, satisfying, and we're working to to be acknowledged you know it's funny i i feel like i'm uh i'm writing a, a naruto ep- episode right now you know the where i don't know if any of you are anime fans but in naruto he's wanted to be acknowledged by his group and uh and you know that is a kind of a strong thing amongst men is that we want to be acknowledged as a man we want to be acknowledged as a person we want to be acknowledged as valuable and so sometimes we are working so hard towards being acknowledged as a valuable person being successful what the fuck is success you know to us now in uh, modern america it's well you just make crap tons of money and shit on everybody near you and that is success uh you you can be a self-centered monster and so long as you have money you are a success in the eyes of modern america that's just the truth uh you know you can it doesn't matter who you shit on who you fucking most people will still respect you look up to you and and kind of play down all of those negative values so long as you get that money uh and so there is this this level of there's the balance the back and forth between trying to be what society wants and trying to be what you know is valuable and uh and you can't you can't get it perfect nobody can get it perfect and sometimes relaxing a little bit and trying to go with sort of a a judgment call and knowing that you're going to continually be updating what your judgment call is and continually trying to hit some mark that is that's it's imperfect the same thing is true with science whenever you're whenever you're um uh trying to to get really good data there uh you know science is not a pursuit of absolute truth it is a it is a pursuit that's the thing is it's a never-ending pursuit it's refining it's having the best that a theory that we've got right now and knowing knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt there's something wrong with it and still being able to be satisfied with it while continuing to pursue ever this ever-changing mark and that's the thing is that that truth is kind of a moving mark a lot of times there are yes there are some things that are absolutely you know true about reality but our perceptions of it and our interpretations of it and all of the human elements and all of the things i mean you know everything that you're seeing with your own, with your own eyes is you know is made up of of your own, your brain's interpretation and a lot of that shit is just completely completely bullshit there's two po- two points in your vision right now that your brain is just fucking making up there's there, there's nothing there you can't fucking see out of these two spots in your eyes but in your field of vision there's something there and you're making it the fuck up. It's your brain just so there is there is this level of per imperfection that is that is part of the continual pursuit that you have to be able to be satisfied with trying to meet that middle ground and continuing to pursue and never giving up that pursuit while still being satisfied with your current attempt that gives you this kind of a a, a satisfaction with an impetus to continually move forward that there is a instead of words it's a instead of a a desperate grasping and a panicked reaching you know you understand how panic makes people 
fools. And, and that's what we end up doing is we have this panicked attempt at, at the, the obsession with this perfection that can make us go way too far to one side or way too far to the other. Just like when you're on a road and you, and you go just barely off the road and there's gravel there and it goes up into your, you know, uh, into the, the back tire well, it makes this loud sound. Then, then bam, you correct and you overcorrect and you f- can flip your car that way because it's that panic. That, that makes you overcorrect and understanding that there is a panic about improving ourselves. There's a panic about trying to find the truth that can, can, can mess us up. I think that is where men a lot of times go wrong and, and attempt to go too far into perfectionism and can't find the level of satisfaction that is, no, I'm going to complete, I'm going to, I'm going to continually update. I'm, I am not um, my current uh, you know, version is flawed, and that is completely okay because it is an inevitability. It is an inevitability that the attempt cannot hit a moving target. Anytime you, if, if, if something, if, the, if perfection itself is something that is constantly moving because reality is constantly changing, so therefore anything that is perfect is perfect for a situation, then perfect can only last for an instant. So therefore, if you if you try to shoot for something that can only last for an instant, you're shooting for something that is imperfection itself. And so there's this kind of an understanding of of being able to re- to relax and continue forward that I think is very important to the ideas of self improvement. That it's not a panicky thing, but it is a and it is an understanding that you have values and being confident in them, valuing them, and then looking for how do I find the next point. Uh, you know, in my improvement along my path? How do I find that next, you know, plateau, that next change? How do I update my view of what is best? You know, how, how out of, how out of date has my view of what is best become? How much have I been fooled by circumstances beyond my control? How much of this, this data that that's in the way back in the back of my head is just completely wrong. And I need to, you know, find some way to update it. And so I guess that's just the, the, the kind of the lesson that I wanted, wanted to, you know, focus on is just, you know, self-improvement. It does not mean there's something wrong with you and you don't need something wrong with you to know that you need to improve. Definitely. Um, and of course, that as far as I've heard from the, the compassionate uh, side uh, discussing the incel uh, issue, over the past two weeks, that that's been sort of the most echoed sentiment is look inside and try to fix yourself, and I'm all about that. Um, in particular, the idea that you know you don't have to be down on yourself or think you're you know not imperfectly perfect in order to want to uh, improve. Uh, however, uh, some of the aspects that I like to tackle that uh, feed into um, the incel uh, status is things you can't really do anything about, such as income, which sometimes for people is a hard limit due to a variety of reasons, Uh, looks, which is definitely a hard limit, uh, as well as uh, intersocial problems like autism. So what do in those cases? You know, how, how does one improve oneself when, you know, yeah, well, in certain cases, you you what you do is you look you don't look at the areas where you can't improve, uh, you look at the areas where you can improve. But also, don't let some things be self limiting beliefs, such as "Well, I have autism, that means I can never learn how to be social." That's so not true. No, totally not true. So, do not are, limit yourself either. <laughs> you, you know, there's there's always I guess there is a there is a a level of be- always believing there's a way around instead of being fatalist. Infinite you know? potential. Yeah, I, believing in your infinite potential is is something that people you know, teach in a wide variety of self-improvement things. And it, and it is, 
a lesson of inestimable inestimable value that is that you you have to you have to believe in in your ability to change um and uh and yeah so there so your look there's certain things no matter who you are you can change about your looks you can change your clothes you can change the you know um your style in general but uh, the biggest thing is understanding there's a thousand things like okay once again going back to what it is that women find desirable is is so much about a thousand little things and it's not in you know and ultimately about confidence in right. those thousand little things right and not, <laughs> and getting stuck on this one thing obsessing about well there's this one thing and that's my problem yeah. that's excuse making yeah <laughs> because a lot of times when, whenever you know we try to to find something to be at fault and there because we can't if we can't find a solution then we got to find something that's at fault and say oh that's it i can't do anything about it that's the that's the thing that's why i can't do anything about it i haven't been able to find a solution because there is no solution, and that is a um, a very bad mental habit. That is a, a way to um, it's that's a that's a self destructive belief, and it's a self limiting habit. You are basically uh, finding a, a weak excuse. When the truth of the matter is, it's not just one thing. There's lots and lots of things that you can change, and becoming obsessive uh, about this one thing. It's like, oh, I'm uh, I'm ugly. So what? So what if you're ugly? You can be ugly as shit. You can lit- You can be in a wheelchair, and men who are ugly as shit and in wheelchairs find uh, beautiful, caring, loving mates all the fucking time. So how is it that that that, that is accomplished? It's accomplished by th- them having other things about them that are valuable, and not just having them, but believing in them. And part of that comes from from really one of the things that they're looking for is for you to not have that fatalistic thing. One of the things that women care about the most is you not being easily dissuaded is you not being a person who gives up, uh, you, you not being a person who gives up on yourself. And a lot of times, you know, trying to focus on if you're, if you're bad, if, if so far you haven't figured out what it is that women want out of you, then maybe you need to stop trying to figure out what women want out of you. Maybe you need to just be working on yourself and just be working on being satisfied with yourself and being satisfied with yourself. A lot of times has to do with finding ways to improve and then saying even these, this little thing that I've done is one step along my path. And I know that one step at a time is how you, you reach any goal. And, uh, and it's, one of, it's, it's one of those things that you've learned since you're a child. You can't you can move a mountain one shovel at a time, but if you're looking up at the mountain you won't start digging. You won't move that first shovel, or at least you'll stop after a few. And so you have to be able to be satisfied. Each shovel, yes, look at that one shovel's worth of progress. I'm really happy with that one shovel's worth of progress right now. I really fucking love it. And and there's a part of you that's going to be like, there's a whole fucking mountain in front of you. What's that one stupid little shovel full going to do? Fuck you. You and your one little shovel, you. you know, And you can't let that part of you that's that's your demons and you have to be able to kind of see them almost as external entities almost it, it's it's a useful uh mental habit a useful um i guess mental tool to be able to externalize and say this is not part of me this is something put in me this is something that i 
refuse to say is me because what is me are the parts of me that I like and that I find valuable and the others are ones I'm going to expel like a disease. And so understanding there are thoughts and ideas and things that are part of you that are like that are like a cancer that you want to cut out, that are like a disease that is taking over and you know taking up what it is that is the, the, the good part of you, I think is a valuable tool so that you don't see yourself as it, uh, as something that is you know failing or something like that, but instead yourself is the desire. It is the it is the the beautiful part of you, the thing that you are crafting. That you know, it's just like looking at looking at you know how was it that Michelangelo uh, termed it? I think it was there was something that where where Michelangelo was known for for seeing, for freeing something from the stone. In other words, he saw what was inside it and it was in because he saw it there, that is how he got down to that beautiful thing that was already inside the stone. And if you can see yourself in this way, instead of paying attention to all the crap that's on the outside, you see that as external. That is a that's a covering, that's a coating that's in the way of the real you. And so all of these different mental habits that you have, you can't see as you. You are that that beautiful statue you inside the stone and you just have to one little chip at a time get at the real you and throw away all those things inside you that are holding you back um that's beautiful (laughs) (laughs) uh for sure um and uh that is the mentalization aspect of it but of course there's the physical aspect uh which is um you know work work to uh, work around, learn how to work around your uh, your limitations. If you're, you know, you know, you're mentally deficient or emotionally deficient in some ways, like you know, Asperger's, as as I am, for instance, I've had to learn how to navigate social environments and know what my triggers are, and and to know, uh, you know, just in general, figure out where it is that my brain's failing and how I can go around that and uh, find ways to streamline it. And that's always fun. Instead of letting it be a you know a disability of any kind, you turn it into just you know a quirk or a, you know, with every disability comes a high ability. So, you know, you can always focus on that instead. And um, on top of that, of course, there are physical things you can do to help out uh, yourself and uh, streamline or at least help get started the process of healing and uh, getting out of depression and changing your life and all that. And uh, some of it uh, would might be unlikely, but I'm going to have some recommendations for you. Obviously, going outside for walks and Fresh air, uh, seeing nature out your window. If you can't put up, uh, you know, like a fifteen dollar wall size sticker from Amazon of nature, uh, there there have been uh, reports found that convalescing um, speeds up by three days if uh, the person in the outpatient care is looking at nature versus uh, just a brick uh, brick wall out the window. And uh, vitamin D is huge, so uh, get a uh, light lamp if you can afford it. Yeah, actually, there. Uh... <laughs> The uh, the light lamp, uh, the, the the full spectrum light lamp we recently got it was has been great. We haven't been able to use it since we moved. I need to you can just bring it up here. Bring that thing up here, but it was uh, it, it seemed to to help out a lot with uh, a variety of issues. So it was cool. Another uh, thing that I've been seeing that's popping up around me on Twitter and such. Uh, but hair. it's the kitty. <laughs> that's not what's been popping up. But uh, <laughs> I did recently get a. Uh, for in, uh, in April, early April, I got uh, a weighted blanket as, as a birthday present. And that's been uh, 
really enjoyable um, to use. Yes. Weighted blank, weighted blankets for all you spurglings out there. They're great. Yep. <laughs> and just uh, in general, you know, I think it's oxytocin therapy because it does, it feels like a hug, but without all the, the sweatiness and the, the humans. <laughs> yes. Using tools. That's yep. the thing. Find tools, search out tools, find new ways, find new paths around. So some of those are, uh, as, a, as I'm listing, uh, are those things as well as, uh, find the tools I'm telling you to use. <laughs> Um, then there's uh, diet and vitamins uh, is very huge. Uh, just something as simple as adding probiotics to your diet uh, can do a lot. And we're going to talk about it next month. Finally, I'm so excited. Uh, or by next month, I mean, may actually be at the end of this month. I really don't know. Um, we did come up with whole three episodes of, of Cherry Stem for, uh, for April since it was a, a triptych of, of ether. So... Um, you know, that, that bought us some time while we were moving and such. Um, and I could wait until next month to, to do a, another podcast, but I'm getting a little antsy. I'll let you guys, uh, we've been away for so long. Uh, but uh, yeah, so definitely talking about gut health next. And uh, it, there's a seamless way in which it flows from both autism and depression into gut health. And uh, go get you some probiotics and some GTs, uh, kombucha, specifically GTs. I can't vouch for any other one. That I know works. Um, and, uh, cut down on, uh, processed meats and, uh, like all those breads and greens and shit, if you can, um, enough veggies, that's always fun, uh, get you micronutrients. And, uh, if you can't do that, uh, sometimes, uh, taking some of your food budget and converting it into vitamins is what you need because you actually get the vitamins and minerals you're supposed to get through your food through taking vitamins and minerals. So, um, that's a little life hack as well. Cool. Anything to add on any of that? Uh, let's see. Or what, what's what's our subject matter here? We're talking about incels. We're talking about. Um, We're talking about just depression in general and tools and tools. Autism. Uh, autism. So incels. Um, yes. <laughs> you know. Um, I guess uh, one thing to to kind of circle back around to is the idea that um, uh, I think that that one of the things that we'll find um, is that. Autistic spectrum is very likely the spark of tool making in humanity. Just like, uh, you know, they found that schizophrenia, you know, you, you have a lot of pattern recognition and basically schizophrenia. Schiz everybody who is who is smart is schizotypal, meaning they have behaviors that are like schizophrenics and they have uh, mental capabilities that are like schizophrenics. But then schizophrenics basically go overboard is what happens is they have and so basically what what is high pattern recognition high pattern recognition is is how you are able to understand lots of things you know very well right but uh, schizophrenics have such high pattern recognition that everything's a pattern that isn't really a pattern and so you know there's basically they get lots of false recognitions you know they're, they're seeing every rabbit they see in the clouds they don't recognize as just a, uh, you know, their own mind making that rabbit. They, they begin to believe it is a rabbit, metaphorically speaking. Uh, and, um, and so when we look at autism, uh, it is, it, it's almost certainly uh, a, um, basically a trade-off between instincts and, um, and the ability to um, make tools. I have to do with the you know there's the, these different things that happen in the brain that uh that are 
Uh, once again, we'll go back to the idea that autism is a is the ex- extreme maleness of the brain, and that there are these things that have to do with visual, either with with spatial reasoning and with uh, you know a focus upon visual, um, uh, you know, three D processing and uh, and some mathematical ability, and all these have to do with mechanics. And in general, I think it it, it is. Um, you know the reason the reason why schizophrenia is still in our genetics is because of the benefits it confers when it is balanced uh, and and gives us all, all of our intelligent people and then uh, and and why we still have autism in our genetics has to do with the the what it confers in the ability for us to create tools but uh, I think that in every case there is a there is kind of a trade off and I think what um, and what you'll find is these these changes to the amygdala in autistics that are um, and uh, and it seems as though a tremendous amount of our instincts definitely our social uh, instincts are stored in the amygdala and so what, what's happening is where is you lose some instincts uh, when you have this advanced ability for specific skill sets. Um, and you'll find that, you know, all throughout people with Asperger's, they seem to not conform to the same um, sets of social um, behaviors that normal people do. They don't have the same instincts for recognizing faces. They don't have the same instincts for giving certain social cues when it comes to body uh, position and and, uh, and things like that. And so um, I, I guess it is just an interesting... Um, uh, conjecture that uh, that I think um, you know whenever you're you're kind of when you're understanding yourself is is a uh, is a really valuable tool for, for just about anyone and so if you're if you're you know on the spectrum and, uh, and and if you're a man you're practically on the spectrum regardless of if, uh, if you're neurotypical or not um, then you know understanding that there is basically this trade-off of uh of missing some instincts and missing some uh some of the ability to um harmonize with other people in other words there's this uh i think that women in general have a better ability to to immediately recognize um uh emotional cues in others and then not only recognize them but experience them simultaneously uh, and so they have that that form of empathy that they experience other people's emotions as they are experiencing them. Um, so all these things are part of a suite of of mental characteristics and abilities that we call instincts. And so uh, and so just understanding that there is this trade off. And so there may be some other along with the um, along with those instincts, there may be other instincts that we end up missing as well um like uh, i think that that's something that happens with autistic spectrum is you you have people who lean a little more towards the um what's it called uh, sociopathic side that there is a that uh, i think sociopathy is a um, you know if you think of it as think of a bunch of different brain areas kind of uh, and all of those let's color them let's 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 think of all the different brain areas in the brain and then color all the all the ones that are not related to 
autistic spectrum, maleness, etc., blue, and let's just color the, the and think of the the ones that are related to it as red. Well, so, though the amount that they are red versus like pink or whatever could could represent the uh, the intensity of it and so it's going to be you know different in the all these little uh, of all the red ones some of them are going to be pinker some of them are going to be redder some of them are going to be bright magenta um my point here is that is to point out that that different people with autistic spectrum may <clears throat> have um greater amounts of one of those characteristics uh, than others of, uh, who would still be within the spectrum. And so, uh, so I think that, it, that there is a, a level of losing, um, um, instincts that can also lead to losing any kind of feeling for the reality of other human existence, which leads to sociopathy. And that is that, um, that there, that you, that's kind of, you know, they, they've lost, They've lost love, <laughs> you know, because when you look at where oxytocin impacts the brain and uh, and how that relates to um, humans, I mean, if you if you make someone into a machine, why is there any reason for them to do anything? And and the more machine like or more computer like a person is, the all those ideas of cooperation, love, and things like that tend to be trumped by immediacy. And that is, what do I want in this moment? Now, understanding that that's a, um, that is self-destructive because it is, it's short-term thinking and they've lost the wisdom of the ages that has to do with cooperation and love and that we've now proven through science is a, uh, a superior, um, uh, strategy. The, uh, but there's still this, the, just understanding that that's, some of the ways that it kind of uh, tends to go wrong is a little bit of the sociopathy. Now, sociopathy by itself, um, I believe, is something that, that is, is a spectrum. And you can't really th think of things as just it is this one thing or it is not this one thing. I think everybody has sociopathic moments even where you're just kind of fuck society. You know, I'm, I'm done with this shit. Um, and uh, and I think that there is there's uh, everybody can can feel a little bit of that sociopathy at times, but I think that, that, that it is, um, it can become, I guess it's one of those things where I, I'd say, be careful that you do not lose that wisdom that comes from, um, instincts and that there are those of us who are, who have, uh, who have, you know, we've, we've, Understanding that we have lost various instincts and understanding that we, be, we may be missing something that can make us think more short term. Because that's what self-centeredness is. You can become, um, and that, that and by the way, that's the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. Is psychopaths are even worse at being able to judge the future. They say not just fuck society, but I'm also fuck society right this instant. I'm not going to think about, uh, you know, even one second into the fucking future. I'm just going to, you know, kill people and, you know, not even think about the future in the slightest. And you can see how that is, uh, psychopathy and sociopathy are on the same spectrum. And just the, uh, psychopathy is just even more shortening of their perspective. And in our instincts are a very, very long experienced perspective uh, and, uh, and it's just sometimes those long experience perspectives can go wrong because the circumstances have changed. And, uh, but the circumstances that led to cooperation, to love, to unity, to all of those things, that circumstance has not changed. If anything, we need it even more, uh, with these larger and larger groups of people. But, um, 
I, I guess my, my, my point here is just to recognize that there are these things going on in various people's minds and within your own mind and to recognize that as you are, as you experience a tremendous amount of negativity from mankind, you can kind of uh, tend to shift your brain in certain directions and to just be aware that, that, uh, that you can look at some of these things that uh, have, have been bad ex experiences and that have moved you in a certain direction are not healthy, uh, that they're not valuable to you and that being able to renew your perspective based upon, you know, new experiences and to not fall into that, um, not to fall into cynicism because, uh, what you, one of the things that you'll find is that everyone over a certain age becomes, starts to become more and more and more cynical begin to, uh, you know, hate society more and more. And, and, you know, you'll notice also that, that that goes very strongly with the degradation of the brain, the loss of creativity, the inability to think outside the box. All of these things go together because, you know, cynicism is a type of aging of the brain. It is this belief in the negative experiences and, and, and eschewing of any kind of importance or appreciation or valuing of the positive experiences with humanity. And it is an easy trap to get into because one of the other things that's different about mankind is, is human beings our our instincts our everything our our body design all of these things were not uh developed in a situation where you'd live to the age of 50 on a frequent basis surely not to the age of 90 on a frequent basis and so therefore systems that you know are slowly starting to to degrade uh one of them is the mind and being able to constantly like what what do what is it that children's minds and teenagers minds have is they have a lot of plasticity, a lot of ability to adapt. And we begin to lose that with age and being able to understand that you will that that the injuries to your mind are like scars, like scar tissue. And uh, and so being able to understand that your cynicism is not a mark of you getting smarter. It's a mark of you getting older in your mind. It is a mark of scars. That is like, and the way that you get rid of scar tissue is by killing off the the scars, the scar tissue. Now, now this is literally like how how you actually like heal scars is that you you have to be able to have those more adaptive cells take the place of the the more specialized cells of the scarring, and uh, and so the you know the, you you need to be able to do that with your own mind to be able to uh, whenever we look at uh, studies of how like there's all these developments in biology that have to do with regeneration of um, youth. And what is always part of regenerating youth? Killing off senescent cells. All the processes that kill the cells that no longer differentiate is how we uh, reverse aging in older animals. You have to kill off that scar tissue. You have to remove those bad experiences. You have to be able to see them for what they are. It is not, oh, you know, one of the things older people try to convince you of, and it's a disease. It's a mental disease that is communicable. And that is that somehow being extremely negative, it makes you smarter. It does not. It makes you dumber. I'm sorry, but old people their minds are degenerating. We all know this. We don't like to accept this, but it is part of the truth. And the reason that they're degenerating is because they are not good at renewing those cells and not good at renewing those ideas. But some of the people that you'll find that are extremely young at heart, 
those those older people that are very young at heart they're not focused on negativity they don't think it's smart to never believe in the good of mankind or the good of uh you'll find that their attitude about life is very different it's because they've found a way to renew their valuing of life their valuing of other people they found a way to throw away their old bad experiences and once again take risks again with people take risks again and being able to have that courage to risk yourself again and to know that you're still going to take injuries that's that that is part of the courage that we begin to lose in cynicism cynicism is cowardice and so you need to be able to see cynicism as not a virtue it is a vice and people will tell you it is a virtue because they want to believe it's a virtue in them but do not believe it they are making excuses for themselves don't make an excuse for yourself don't allow yourself to become more and more cynical and believe it's some sort of virtue it's a degradation it is a loss of the youth of your mind the uh, the adaptability the ability to change and update and become better you are you are you are degrading your mind with cynicism and so you need to see it as that instead of seeing it as this some sort of oh yeah everybody who you know doesn't trust anyone and you know and just takes for themselves that's what smart is that's not smart that's aged that's old that is damaged is what that is and so understanding that and seeing that the way that we innate that everything all the system throughout nature that makes something live longer have to do with regeneration with killing off those bad experiences killing off those older things that have that are uh that that lead towards this this one-sided belief about reality that is that has to do with over specialization for a negative environment over specialization for a negative environment is the path to death it is so you're you have to see that the the constant impetus to become more and more cynical throughout your life as the path to the grave for your mind uh, and so understanding that and understanding that's what cynicism, that's what sociopathy, that's what those things are, is they are short, they are short-sighted, they are, they are the, they are a type of degradation. And so I guess it's, it's, I think it's very important to, to recognize, um, that for all of us, especially when we are, when you're more along the, um, uh, Asperger spectrum there, I think there's more of a, um, there's more of a drive to give up on humanity and to lose all hope and uh and uh, i think it's just crucial to see how all throughout nature that is an indication of death that is a indication of something that is uh becoming old and garbage uh and so um so it's i think that's that's a very important lesson and i think that that reinforcing that and finding all the ways that is true in all the uh, all the systems of nature uh, I think is, is a very important exercise for anyone. Look it up yourself. See how it is. What is it? What's the one animal on earth that lives forever? At forever? The immortal jellyfish. How does it do it? It gets rid of all the specialization. It reverts to youth again. And so, so it goes back to a generalized and more ignorant perspective. And so it's the, and, and by ignorant, what I mean is instead of believing in that that circumstances are the same and that all of the, the the knowledge that you've accumulated is all accurate knowledge that it is an appropriate sample size instead it is the ability to to throw that away and say no i need to take a new sampling i need to look at the data fresh again i need to take this you know, all of these ideas 
And, you know, I can take kind of a general idea, but I need to reduce their importance of those experiences, reduce the, 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 my belief in the value and truth of them, and instead renew my perspective because that's what that is, you know, that is that the cycle of life and death in animals. Why is it that animals die at the, the at a point at which they do? Why is it programmed? Because it is, it's programmed into animals. They could continue to renew a lot, of, a lot of times, but the point is that they specialize and they specialize. And the reason why they have a death timer has to do with specialization and the period of time that that specialization would be useful for, for that species. That's why they die at that point, because that specialization is no, is going to be, is going to lead them to the point that they're going to, to just take up resources that their children should have access to instead. But their children need to be able to, be adaptive. That's why the, the children are always much more broadly um, uh, adaptive, and they don't have, uh, you know, that's why. Why not just put complete genetic memory into every animal? Why hasn't hasn't nature done that? Well, because either you need to be able to renew, you need to be able to get back to that generalization. You need to have a cycle. That cycle exists because that is the solution to the problem of eternal existence that is what life is doing is is existing over well however long it has existed and so understanding that you need to try to make yourself capable of this cycle of renewal to be able to make your mind young again and and, and it's the same thing for your, for your body as well i think it's just a, a very important lesson and it's because i think a lot of us can as we're starting to get into you know um uh depressive views or frustration with our social um in, you know situation or things like that it's it's about us specializing and believing in this one set of things and instead you have to be able to find a way to renew to forget your old lessons that and believe they are bad have, con have stop being confident that your lessons are correct or that they are that they are they really actually accurately reflect reality and instead renew, look at reality again, try again, try the things that you thought are not worth trying and, and, and that having that courage again, that is not a cynical viewpoint of, uh, of reality. But now I've talked myself first time. <laughs> Perfect. I is uh, right about the time to wrap up. So, um, let's shuffle on out of here. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, that about wraps it up for us here. Um, not sure if there's anything in particular I can add, uh, that was said so eloquently and at length. <laughs> hopefully you guys, uh, got something out of it. Um, and hopefully it was helpful and not just, uh, you know, you don't get the feeling that some people are just pontificating at you. Uh, we personally advocate that what we use ourselves. Uh, so, you know, these are, we're not just selling you something that, uh, you know, we're getting paid to promote or, you know, it's just some pontifications out of nothing. It's, uh, it is actually useful advice that, uh, we have either gotten or gleaned from, you know, experience or, uh, you know, neuropsychology books or what have you. And it's been tested and, uh, proven to work, uh, even in our own lives and, Things that we talk about to others are frequently reminders to ourselves in sort of the proper way to stay young and, and live forever, uh, mentally, in a sense, and to leave a lasting impression. Uh, so hopefully you guys found that helpful. Um, if not, uh, definitely write us in. 
uh, into comments or um, in some other form or fashion, bring it up um, during Twitch chat uh, or uh, email us. Um, eventually, we will have some mailboxes and such set up on cherrystem.live. Currently, that site is under construction, uh, but it will eventually uh, arrive. <laughs> you can always send me a message on Patreon. Uh, that is where you can find a lot of the RSS um, links and feed of this uh, cherry stem podcast uh, so everything from the honey badger radio days to till today so two seasons of cherry stem you can find on patreon.com slash anna cherry coincidentally that is where you can go to pledge uh, seven dollars a month which is the uh, stem mode or challenger mode and you uh, receive not only super secret uh, recordings, video recordings of these conversations, uh, starting with today's, uh, but you will also get an opportunity to hang out with us in the after show chat, uh, which is we're about to do in a minute, and we're about 